For generations, rabbis have described Holy Scripture as black fire written upon white fire. This is not merely a reference to black ink inscribing letters upon white pages. This is finite beings grappling for words for the infinite, for the eternal, the holy, for the mystery of God. Today's second reading is a Christian version of that Jewish tradition. Here we have humanity striving to articulate the scope and character of God. Here we are at the very frontier of sacred speech, seeking to say how we and all creation encounter our creator. Here we hear black fire written upon white fire. This is from the letter to the Colossians, the first chapter beginning with verse 15. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have preeminence in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to God's very self all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. This too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In some pulpits, instead of saying the word of God for the people of God, I say holy wisdom, holy word. And maybe I should have said that this morning because somehow that feels more in step with this text that leaves me almost breathless with awe. Perhaps things are easier for those rabbis I mentioned because in Jewish thought, God is not seen. God is heard in the Garden of Eden. God is heard in storm and silence, heard in the burning bush. God's heavenly representative, the angel of the Lord, makes cameo appearances in all sorts of stories. And God's earthly representatives, the prophets, just will not leave us alone. But God remains invisible until, our text claims, the phenomenon of Jesus Christ. Until, as Gertrude Schnockenberg put it, God comes nearer than angels or prophets can, turning toward us the face of Jesus. The love of the Creator expressed in Jesus' hair-raising, divine, transcendent moral claims, in His example and sacrifice, and in His resurrection. And all of that is our focus on Reign of Christ Sunday, 
Of course, it should be our focus every day. But today, in particular, we're called to recognize Christ's supremacy over all creation, proclaiming that nothing else has ultimate power, nothing else is worthy of worship. And we are presented with this cosmic Christ as we approach the season that especially tempts us to worship lots of tinsely lesser gods, including if we're not careful, a romanticized, domesticated, easy to swallow misinterpretation of Christ himself. What I mean is that we're about to turn the liturgical corner and start looking for sweet baby Jesus who, if we're not careful, will immobilize in swaddling clothes and stow safely away in a manger. In a staff meeting last January, Jonathan helpfully announced, 11 months till Christmas. <laughs> one. <laughs> we are now at one month till Christmas Eve. And if that causes you anxiety, just imagine what it's doing for your church staff. <laughs> Actually, we're all pretty pumped. But the next four Sundays, the four Sundays of Advent, are meant to prepare us to welcome Jesus, the one who is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, why anyone imagines that we can prepare for that in four weeks, I do not know. But that's how the church calendar begins every year, which means that today is how the church calendar ends every year, which means that reign of Christ Sunday occurs right before we gallop off toward the birth of Christ. Today we ponder the reign of Christ. You sometimes hear it called Christ the King Sunday, but I prefer reign of Christ because it's bigger. King is not only gendered language which limits God, it's also archaic language. We know kings only through fairy tales. To say Christ the King risks ascribing to Christ an obsolete, ignorable power, dolling up God in velvet and ermine, decorative and irrelevant. Reign of Christ is harder to dismiss. Reign of Christ is the radical recreation that God promises and has already begun. That's why I want us to notice before Advent before our eyes start looking for sweet baby Jesus, before we gaze upon Emmanuel, God with us, I want us to stand in awe of Emmanuel, God with us. And today's text does that. The letter to the Colossians was written to a very early church that was flirting with the heresy of angel worship. Yes, we are not the first Christians to find that following Christ can be difficult. And so we're not the first to look for less demanding objects of worship. Angels, celebrities, possessions, money, status, self-interest. The letter's finest section is what we heard today. And scholars agree that those six verses use a pre-existing piece of liturgy perhaps a spoken creed or even lyrics to a hymn. 
In other words, the author borrowed a snippet of text that the church already knew. A modern-day parallel may help. When I am called upon to say grace over a meal, and as anyone who has been to seminary can tell you, being asked to pray is an occupational hazard. When I am asked, I sometimes say, let's sing the doxology. Now that is not a cop-out. That is a tapping into something more profound than anything I could offer because it brings with it all the associations of everyone in the room. And that's what this letter writer is doing. This writer recognizes that known liturgy may speak more clearly to those Colossian Christians. And so this early church creed is preserved for us to hear today. Christ is the image of the invisible God. So to see Jesus Christ is to see God. Jesus' actions are God's actions. Jesus' words are God's words. Jesus' priorities are God's priorities. He is the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. All those powers that we dread, whether it's disease, depression, demons, human constructs, mortality itself, all of that is ultimately beneath Christ. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. That's where we come in. Our role in all of this is to be the body that enacts the will of its head, Jesus Christ. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have preeminence in everything. Everything, church, all of life, even death, everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to God's very self all things on heaven and in earth by making peace through the blood of his cross. In Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Remember when I mentioned the frontier of sacred speech? <laughs> well, this is it. The fullness of God chose to come among us as one of us. Why? Because God is on a mission namely the comprehensive reconciliation of all that is asunder, not just cats and dogs or Republicans and Democrats, but all things in heaven and on earth. How? Through God's self-sacrificing love. <laughs> Astoundingly, confoundingly, that is the ultimate exercise of the ultimate power. If ever there were an occasion for humility in the face of mystery, this would be it. And yet God, by coming among us as one of us, calls us to participate in God's mission. That's why we are the body of which Christ is the head. We are the hands and feet and voice through which God stoops 
to do God's ongoing work, bringing to fruition the reconciliation of all things. In other words, the already underway reign of Christ. I cannot claim to understand this reign, but a hint of it reached me on a bleak morning some years ago. I was taking an intensive course with Marjorie Thompson, one of the leading writers of contemporary spirituality. And during our time together, one of the 21st century's catastrophes occurred. The following morning, as the class gathered, there was no cheery chatter at the coffee pot. Instead, it was just shell-shocked silence. Some people were crying. Others had been weeping all night. Nobody had slept well. Some hadn't slept at all. Marjorie sat apart, eyes closed, hands open in her lap. And at our appointed time, she rose. She looked at all of us. And she took a deep breath, spread her arms wide, and said, does God still reign? And then she led us into the morning devotional, which I'm sure was excellent, and proceeded into the day's classwork, which I'm sure was excellent. But what I remember was that challenging faith statement hanging in the air, that affirmation. The assertion that the one whose power is beyond all powers, that power is, even now, whether in joy or in catastrophe, already at work. Church, I wish I had a way to make this clear and plain and irresistible, because I know the world is offering us, like those Colossian Christians, some really appealing alternatives. The world serves up all sorts of stuff that's way easier to worship than the God who became visible as a baby in backwater Bethlehem. The world is even sly enough to make that baby Jesus adorable rather than awe-inducing, which is why Reign of Christ Sunday matters. It reminds us of who God is and what God is doing. A friend of mine confesses that despite having a PhD in literature, when she settles in to enjoy a new novel, she always reads the book's last page first. <laughs> she likes to hold that in mind as she makes her way through everything that leads to that conclusion. Reign of Christ Sunday is the last page of the church calendar. Let's read it well so that next Sunday, when we open a new church year, we'll know that the one for whom we prepare the way is the one in whom all things hold together. We'll know that the baby heralded by angels yet born among the poor is the image of the invisible God. We'll know that the radical rabbi who welcomes the marginalized and chastises the privileged is reconciling all things 
We'll know that the Messiah who is betrayed and arrested, abandoned and abused, crucified and buried for our sake is the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And we'll know that the mystery who is resurrected to continue God's work in heaven and on earth is the head of the body, the church. One month till Christmas Eve, when we welcome not merely sweet baby Jesus, but the cosmic Christ who reigns at the end of the church year and at the end of eternity, who is reigning this day and every day, now and forevermore. Alleluia. Amen.